1: Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. It's a very special episode because it's the day after Toro Cup, another tremendous Toro Cup, Toro Cup 8, with 21 great matches from local athletes all up and down the East Coast. We had some of the best matches we've had at Toro Cup, some of the closest, and my guest in studio for the featured interview is the winner of the main event uh, in a match against David Porter from Pedro Sauer team, Greg Walker from Gustavo Machado team, emerged victorious. We are going to talk to Greg about his training, about his teaching, about his competition career, about Toro Cup, about the North Carolina Jiu-Jitsu community and all manner of other stuff in just a moment. But first, got to tell you how you can get a hold of the show. You can always email the cagesidewhup at gmail.com. You can get at us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Cageside Radio. We have Twitter and Instagram. We're very active on Instagram at Dirty White Belt and our Twitter is DWB Radio. Before we get into our featured interview with Greg, uh, I want to talk about what's coming up. First of all, we're giving away awards. Uh, It's the first annual Dirty White Belt Awards and one of the cool things about Cup yesterday was I was able to meet a bunch of folks that I'd never met before who listened to the show and thank you so much for both listening to the show and coming out and supporting the event who had nominations for Coach of the Year, both for Competition Jiu-Jitsu and Self-Defense, who had nominees for jiu and jiu of the Year, were given awards for the Male and Female Athlete of the Year, for the Most Inspirational Jiu-Jitsu Practitioner of the Year, and for Match of the Year, a match that, by the way, Greg was involved with, got multiple nominations, and we'll talk with him about that match later on. So thanks for coming out. Please remember, there's still time to nominate. You can get at us at any one of those uh, media that I mentioned and uh, and send in nominations. And by the end of the year, we'll have some cool awards to give out uh, to some of the prominent members of our community before we get to our featured interview with greg i was able to interview some of the competitors just as they came off the mats and we're going to play some of those interviews for you as well the first of those is amber Hable, who's a teammate of mine and faced a very tough opponent in Saida durkee that match was one of the most exciting of the day and i was able to catch up with amber right after she got off the mat here's that interview Oh man, that match was awesome. Um,
0: yeah, that's the only way I can describe it. That was awesome.
1: <laughs> it seemed like you were having a good time out there even when the match got very bad. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Like, uh, I, I love competing and I just want to gain competitors and I want to come out here and have fun. <laughs> Did you have a game plan for the match? And did the match go according to your game plan?
0: All I wanted was a takedown. Okay. Yeah. That was it. I came out here today thinking to myself, so like, if I lose this match, yeah. I just Stop want a takedown. Um, I've really been working my takedown game pretty really hard. I knew she was a, a top a game competitor, and she really liked the top, top game. And I was like, I'm, I'm taking that top spot. That's mine. Like, I just want a takedown. And uh, after that, everything else is kind of peachy. <laughs> so you did up
1: getting a You passing sword. And,
0: Diego, Fisco, and uh, it, it's interesting because once he got the takedown, I kind of thought he would maybe ride the match out, but that wasn't enough, you wanted to pass the hard question. Definitely, definitely. I just <laughs> always want to keep it dancing <laughs> <healthy. with the laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, putting in hard work. And she's, she's totally a game um, component, and she's always competing <laughs> and always doing great <laughs> things in the community. And I really appreciate it. I really appreciate her coming out here <laughs> and having a match with me. Well, congratulations <laughs> on an excellent match, and have fun at
1: the fair. Thank you! After a hotly contested submission-only round, Amber was able to get a takedown, guard, pass, and mount in the points round to end up winning 9-0. We also have some other exciting post-match interviews, including one with Andrew Bittner, who beat Josh Williams by triangle choke to win the Toro BJJ No-Gee Championship belt. A very exciting little piece of merchandise, I must say. And we'll try to get to that, as well as a post-match interview with Daniel Frank in our next week's show. Or we might post those as a bonus, so watch for those post-match interviews. U.S. Grappling is back for the fall and winter, y'all. Whether you're in North Carolina or Virginia, you have a place to compete at the Best Run Tournaments around. On October 21st, Northern Virginia, Chantilly, Virginia, U.S. Grappling. The following weekend, October 28th, Greensboro, North Carolina. That may be the first time I compete as a brown belt. We'll see. And finally, if you like submission only, true submission only, then you can compete in Richmond, Virginia, at Sub Only Richmond on December 9th. So be sure to get that on your calendars early. Usgrappling.com is where you can register master. I also want to tell you all about upcoming events. So next, there's literally something every weekend, and it's all exciting. I want to tell you about U.S. Grappling's Greensboro Tournament, which is going to be October 28th. U.S. Grappling Northern Virginia is the weekend before that, October 21st. Also on October 28th, Segoi Submissions in New Bern, North Carolina, is going to be hosting the Pro Jitsu Dark Horse Invitational, one of Greg's teammates. Samson Saucer is going to be competing on that. Maybe we'll talk about that card a little bit. Then when we get into November, there's seminars. Elevate MMA is hosting not only Dominica Oblenite, who we sponsored once again to come down. Um, uh, Just an outstanding, outstanding seminar last time. We're sure Dominica is going to teach some great stuff. Uh, Spots are still available. That's November 4th. Later on, on November 11th, uh, Rubens Cobrinha Charles is going to teach a seminar. I'm going to drive down for that. If you got the chance to drive eight hours round trip to train with Cobrinha, you got to take that chance, and that's what I plan on doing. And then the weekend following, Bernardo Faria. Unfortunately, if you don't have your seat, it's sold out, um, but uh, I but a lot of us at Elevate M- will be training at Elevate MMA that day with Bernardo Faria, one of the best in the world, five-time world champion, and a tremendous instructor. We know from friend of the show Alex Cummings, who trains at a Bernardo affiliate, and we're gonna get Bernardo in the studio thanks to the one and only Betty Broadhurst. So that's what's coming up. Feel free to hit us up. Oh, one other thing I want to mention, and uh, this is sort of implicit, but we took videos of almost all the matches. Some of the matches uh, were also joined on commentary by Jeremy O'Rell, outstanding coach from Great Grappling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Had a great time doing commentary with Jeremy, with occasional guest commentators uh, uh, David Porter, occasional guest commentators Hamid Sanders, Chelsea Kurtzman, had Daniel Frank on a couple of the matches. So we're going to be posting those throughout the week. Some of them are up already on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. So if you missed Toro Cup, if You weren't there in person. There was no live stream this year. But we are going to be posting the matches on our Facebook page. So please go to our Facebook page and check that out. If the match you want to see is not up yet, then we will be posting that throughout the week. Unfortunately, I'm going out of town this coming week for work, so I won't be at my 6.30 a.m. Jiu-Jitsu class. Thanks to Brandon Brown, newly promoted Brown Belt. Congratulations for taking over that class. Um, And because I'm going to be out of town, we're going to be gradually releasing those videos uh, one day. So there will be at least a new video from Toro Cup every day this week. And speaking of Toro Cup, we're going to talk to the Toro Cup main event winner, Greg Walker, on the other side of this break.
0: North Carolina.
1: interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gi's, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at ToroBJJ.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. We've been wanting to get Greg Walker in the studio for a long time. Greg is uh, an avid competitor, a veteran of many Toro Cups, always puts on an exciting match, has an interesting history in jiu-jitsu, and is one of the most prominent members of the community up and down the East Coast, and of course, as I've mentioned, won the main event in Toro Cup yesterday uh, in Sudden Death Overtime. We'll talk to him about all these things, but first, welcome to the studio, Greg Walker.
0: Jeff, thanks for having me on
1: it's it's a pleasure man we've always wanted to get you on the show and so i want to talk to you a little bit about your journey in jiu-jitsu about where you've come from about where you're going um but let's start with the most recent let's start with with yesterday it was a really exciting day and is this the
0: third toro cup card you've competed on it's actually the fourth
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: have uh two oh three gi matches and one no gi match mm-hmm. so one with nick walters uh knock upon Jared Lawson, and then uh, David Porter. Mm -hmm.
1: So pretty much uh, one of every other Toro Cup you're going to be on. And as we were talking about before the show, we've somewhat organized the Toro Cup around your important life events. It was Greg's birthday this weekend, and so it's always nice to celebrate a birthday with a victory. Very much so. And so you had a really tough opponent in David Porter from Team Pedro Sauer. And so I'm curious about what your game plan was going into the match and whether the match went the way you thought
0: it would. Uh, Definitely. You know, had a lot of game plan going into this. Uh, Gustavo Machado, master, um, sh- like sh- of making up strategies. You know, so the key yesterday was kind of I know what his strengths are. You know, fantastic triangles, good dart strokes, um, and tricky with uh, leg locks. So if I kind of played against those three things um, and stayed disciplined on that, that I could emerge victoriously. Obviously, I want to get a submission in the fifteen minute you know, regulation time, that couldn't happen, not there was, like, there wasn't any submission attempts, there was some close ones, and just like I thought, he squirmed out of them, you know, um, so just state disciplined, when it got to sudden death, and, you know, he did his little stance, that's, uh, you know, all I had to do is shoot in, and, you know, get the two points, so. Mm-hmm. So Greg ends up winning in the
1: sudden death first to score overtime, until then there had been no points scored, but Greg wins with a takedown, and I want to follow up on a couple of things you mentioned, first of all, I think one of the things that made this an interesting matchup and one of the, the matchups most people were looking forward to is both you and Dave Porter are attacking jiu-jitsu players. Like there's constant pressure, there's constant you mentioned of course I want a submission. Dave Porter thinks the same way. You're always trying to progress relentlessly toward the submission. And so in in some cases I thought it was kind of like an irresistible force versus the immovable object and it seemed like a lot of times like the attacks he w- the strategy that you had put in place blunted some of his attacks and maybe vice versa
0: yeah I felt um you know I do it didn't work out the way I thought it like I thought David would have a little bit more of a relaxed kind of uh feel for jiu-jitsu and um kind of give up position almost but he had an extremely tough guard to pass I think I only passed it maybe twice and it was still like very t- tough to pass um you know when I watched him before I was like ah you know he just gives up position he doesn't He doesn't have kind of that respect for the hierarchy of grappling, you know, uh, once you get to guard, pass the guard, and then get to the dominant positions, uh, you know, full 100% respect on him. Like, he fought a really tough, really tough guard and made it very hard to kind of progress through my positions to get where I wanted to be. Yeah, that surprised me a bit as well. Like, the two things that he did that surprised me is he didn't start the first
1: two rounds with the Mongoose stance that he's known for. And the second, as you mentioned, a lot of times he'll play around and let folks pass his guard, and then hit you with a sneaky submission from underside control or a sneaky submission from a, a position you don't see coming. And so it seemed with you he was much more interested in playing that traditional positional hierarchy.
0: Yeah, and, it, you know, makes it for a very, very tough match when you when you do that. Um, I One thing I've noticed with his Mongoose stance is uh, I think he does it he he does it to people like he doesn't respect as much, not in a disrespectful way, but if he, if he feels more confident, he does that stance. Like, mm-hmm. cause when I watched him on the fight to win, he didn't do that stance mm-hmm. or there was one time, maybe he did it. And I think somebody tried to hit a flying triangle on him. There's a couple of times that happened. And then I started to watch him do it less and less against very high level competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw maybe, maybe that was out of uh, respect for the the abilities is he didn't do it because he's like, yeah, I don't want to give anything up.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Another thing I wanted to follow up on that you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, you trained under Gustavo Machado, master strategist. Did you work directly with Gustavo in formulating the strategy for this match, and how did you prepare?
0: Uh, yeah, always, you know, um, always asking questions. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, I feel like I'm getting to the point in my jujitsu that's like, you know, I can formulate my game plans, but definitely it helps having that second eyes on the problem to help come up with that, and, um, you know, I don't... I didn't like have to re revolutionize anything. It was just like, hey, these are the points I'm going to stick to. You know, Gustavo gives me a little bit of things to kind of help polish that up. Um, You know, working for like double underhooks, we've been, I've been working on that since like I fought Gary Tonin years ago. You know, that was like a game plan that stuck with me. It worked against DJ Jackson. You know, um, David did a good job of shutting it down. He was like abnormally strong in that position, trying to, even with double underhooks and side control. So yeah, it's just, kind of business as normal with training you know I have really great training partners like from uh white belt all the way to black belt they have different styles like Gustavo's that I can get different looks from and kind of take something from each person that helps me prepare for whoever I'm fighting mm-hmm.
1: and Greg made reference to uh, another one of his big wins in the last couple of months beating DJ Jackson in the finals of the IBJJF DC Open to take gold at black belt and I'm curious you know this isn't where i thought that i'm curious if you think that's the biggest win of your career so far or if you think in those terms if, if it's that is that the biggest win that you had if not what is or do you even think this is the biggest win of my career so far
0: um definitely that's probably like the highest the biggest name that i've that i've beaten you know but you know you wake up the next day and you know things kind of just keep going on you know i'm not going to stop after I beat DJ and be like, well, I'm done. I'm, you know, it's just continue on until I get to the next one. You know, it took me uh, seven years. I've been competing in IBJJFs for seven years. I went uh, to white belt pants the first year they let white Belt do it, you know. Um, and I've, you know, just kept fighting, 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 and I finally got a gold medal, and, and that was the one, you know, in Washington, D.C., seven years. So, um, yeah, it was great to beat them, but continue on. There's always the next challenge after that. And so you went from that tournament challenge to a
1: super fight challenge. And so is there a difference in preparation when you're preparing for a tournament? Because I don't know how many matches you had in, in, in the division of the of Open, but, you know, you can have several matches in a tournament like that, as opposed to this where you know, okay, I'm fighting this one guy. His his strengths are these three things. Uh, is there a difference in how you prepare, or do you just train like normal?
0: Just just train like normal. I mean, uh, I've, uh, you know, over the last, like, uh, year or so since I've been teaching, I've actually, like, had less time to train – you know, on my own. If, you know, I spend more time teaching, which in like hindsight has actually almost helped me more. Cause I have a habit of overtraining. Like it's either like the gas pedals full down and I train as hard as I possibly can and, you know, get hurt, get burnt out and just, you know, don't compete at a level that I should just cause I'm training too hard, you know, but as I'm getting older and more mature in my like competition, it's like, you know, I can, I can train hard three, four days a week. And then on the off days, I'm teaching and still getting jujitsu time in. It's not like I'm sitting around not doing anything. So it's actually kind of helped me. I feel get more technical, kind of relax a lot more. My guard's getting better. You know, I'm more comfortable there. And, and, you know, it's just different, you know? You got to figure out, you got to make it work for yourself. Yeah, you know, I've heard,
1: and I've experienced this myself, and I've heard several people say words to the effect of what you've said in that teaching, in addition to the stopping you from overtraining piece, helps you be more technical because you almost have to reverse engineer. It's no longer sufficient to do what you do, but you have to to say, okay, why do I do it? How do I do it? And that helps you understand the positions better.
0: Yeah, that and, you know, you spend so much time at an academy like Gustavo's that's been so well established that everyone in there is tough as nails, right? And then um, I start a program at UFC Gym Norfolk. You know, I was like day one teaching people how to shrimp. They have no idea what jiu-jitsu is. So obviously it's going to be due... Uh, my students know good if I just go in there and crush them. I can't roll with them like I roll, you know, w- in competition. I have to kind of roll to their ability, and which helps me even more. You know, like my goal is not even to like breathe heavy. You know, not 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 muscle a thing. Just kind of work on timing, and that those things have really helped out a lot. Working on that timing of things because you can have perfect execution of technique. Your technique can be perfect, but if the timing's not there. And it's not going to be successful, you know. So that, you know, rolling with my students definitely always helps me develop that timing and kind of finesse with everything so nothing is muscled at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's continue along along the teaching track and then we'll return to Toro Cup a little bit later. I have some other questions I want to ask you about the event. But, but you know, we're talking about your, your teaching. You're teaching a lot more and it seems that you know, you you and I were talking before the show a little bit about how you've you don't compete at certain tournaments anymore simply because you have so many students that now require your attention and your support. And how has that has that been an inter, an easy transition for you or a natural transition?
0: Uh, I, at first, I mean, it's it's hard because I, I always want to fight. You know, like I think that's just deep down, I I I want to fight. You know. But taking that step back and, like, having to look at the bigger picture, you know, say, Naga, Virginia Beach, you know, our team has been fortunate to win it for, like, the last consecutively, really like, five, six years, you know. And um, especially this year, I made that decision. You know, I was like, you know, I talked to Gustavo about it. You know, we have so many other people that that that's going to be their time. You know, I've done Naga a bunch of times there, and I was fortunate enough to be successful there. So, it's like, you know, I made that decision. Well, it's, it's their time. You know, I, I want to be there to help support them. Um, and get them where they want to be because that's where I started at. You know, Nagas and the good fights and U.S. grapplings, you know, that's what kind of got me to where I'm at. So let them have their time to shine. Mm-hmm.
1: So that leads me into a question about how you did start and, like, you know, how you got from where, from day one in jiu jitsu to where you're at today. And so I'm curious about, you know, when you started training,
0: what inspired you to want to train jiu jitsu, and whether you've always trained with Gustavo. I, uh, so. You know, I joined the Navy right after high school. I wrestled in high school, uh, middle school, high school, kind of continued wrestling a little bit in the Navy. And then I kind of just reached my peak and I felt like, well, you know, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. But I want to do something, Uh, you know, back in 2007, there was not that much jujitsu, especially my first duty station in Maryland. So I got transferred to Virginia Beach. And, uh, you know, I was like, I had interest in jujitsu because I knew MMA, I was very a fan of MMA and I, at some point wanted to fight MMA and I knew I needed to start in jujitsu. I just didn't know where to go. And I kind of got, um, introduced to, you know, a couple of academies. I met Gustavo at work, you know, where I worked, he came in and, and taught the guys. Um, I didn't start with him, but I trained for about six to seven months at another local academy. Um. Things didn't work out, uh, so I made the switch over to Gustavo and have been with him ever since. I've gotten all my belts from Gustavo. I was like maybe, like, I had, think I had like two stripes on my white belt. You know, went over to Gustavo and uh, been with him ever since. It, just, it was one of those things, once you get there, you know the fit is just perfect and that's what it's been.
1: I always wanna ask people that train under legendary instructors, what the most important thing that instructor has taught them? And so I'm gonna ask you that. Like what do you think the single most important thing that you've learned from Gustavo Machado is?
0: Uh, that's a good question.
1: That's why I ask it all the time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think it, it's not, he just doesn't teach jujitsu, you know, he's he's way more than just a jujitsu instructor, you know, he was one of my groomsmen in my wedding, you know, he's he's been a, a, a f- great friend, you know, there's so much more to being a jujitsu instructor than just teaching jujitsu, it's been like, you know, I've had hard times, I think anybody that's like, reaches the higher levels of, of the higher belts, like, brown belt, black belt. You go through some rough times in life and people make those choices of like, okay, well, here's this rough time. I'm going to quit jujitsu or I'm going to stick with jujitsu. You know, I had a really rough time in 2012. A lot of life changes were happening. And like Asaba was there for me. The team was there for me. And it was like, you know, that, that helped develop me as a person and make me who I am now. You know, it's just so much more, like I said, than just being an instructor. It's kind of helping you with life.
1: That's certainly my experience, and I think that a lot of people listening can probably identify with that, and that, you know, this is such an intense activity, an intense subculture, that it becomes about more than just like, okay, here's how you do a Kimura. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so so I think there are a lot of life lessons there. And, you know, obviously, so talk talk to me about some of your training partners. I know you train with some real beasts, and, you know, before we talked about that a little bit before your last Toro Cup match, or after your last Toro Cup match, but I'm wondering who are some of the people that helped you get ready for, in your either in your home gym or somebody you travel to train with, some of the training partners that helped you most in preparing?
0: You know, all the upper belts at, at Gustavo has always helped me out. You know, Alexei Kokush, man, that dude's a, a tank that always moves and kind of reminds me of David Porter. You try and slap a submission on him, and he find, he figures a way out. You know, that was like, you know, I specifically would get roles with him just to – just. To, Help sharpen up that submission hold and submission chain because high level you can't just you can't just try one thing you're gonna have to chain it together you know uh Mike Joshua big big strong technical guy you know like he's got the best of both worlds that will push you to your limits you know chris penny uh brown belt. Uh, also NCAA American from Virginia tech. This guy is like over 200 pounds, but moves like he's a lightweight, you know? So for those like uh, conditioning rounds, you know, he will push the pace. And it's like, if you want to build some mental fortitude, you roll with Chris Penny, you know, it's, it's good training, Um, you know, working with Taylor, you know, it's good working with Taylor. She's competing at the same time too. So it's like, you know, getting those, those kind of just timing and technique down with her, you know, you know, I can I can get something out of every one of my training partners that I roll with at Gustavo's. You know that's why I'm so thankful to have such a great team there. Mm-hmm. You know, but definitely the upper belts are always like I can pick them out. You know, my buddy Bill Dorman helps me out too. He's got some tricky stuff. Um, yeah, everyone everyone kind of has a little piece to that that game. You mentioned Taylor Saucer, who's also a, a multiple time Toro Cup veteran. I uh,
1: had a match this weekend, a tough match against Shayla too. Um, and, and so you and I were talking a little bit before the show about. It's tough when you have a teammate or a friend or someone that you're coaching, or in some cases, multiple people when you're competing yourself. And so I'm wondering, like, what was your experience at Toro Cup 8 like with that? Were you able to watch most of the friends that you wanted to watch? Were you able
0: to, did you have to skip some of the matches? How do you handle that as a competitor? Uh, I think uh, you got to kind of have a balance, too. And then um, even the people that you watch, you know, Taylor went pretty early. um, So when I coach, I think anybody that coaches can can attest to this is you get emotionally involved you know it's almost like I feel more nervous when I'm coaching for somebody than when I'm actually fighting so that her match was like a lot earlier I had that time to kind of invest that energy and be emotionally involved and trying to help her out and then I can recoup from that a little bit you know sit on the side do my thing kind of uh you know relax a little bit and then when there was a match here and there that I wanted to watch you know just making sure I don't get too pulled into it you know just kind of sit and stay neutral and analyze it and watch it you know and enjoy it Uh, just the show without without getting too much into it Mm
1: -hmm. this is another sort of common theme among among the guests that I also identify with where like I always get more nervous watching my friends and teammates compete than I do competing myself it's like because you're in the moment yourself and you're like I have control over this but it's a lot more nerve-wracking to be like hey this is someone I care about and train with and I really want success for them but like oh no don't do that so uh, what was your favorite match that you got to see yesterday other than yours and Taylor's
0: uh, I think watching Josh Murdoch, you know, that guy is like, you know, he he's a good kid, and uh, once he starts believing in his jujitsu, he he's going to go as far as he wants to go. You know, I had a great opportunity to train with him. Uh, I visited Jeremy in Great Grappling a couple months ago before the last Toro Cup when I fought Jared. Um, got some great training in with Josh and CJ and all them guys, and then... Um, Josh and I fought on uh, the DC Open. They matched us up for the first match in Open class, and we had a, a fantastic match. I mean, he he had made some great adjustments from our training session, you know. And um, I think once he starts really believing in his jujitsu and technique, man, that kid, he, he's going to go far. You know, he just got to black belt, but he's doing very, very well at the high level. So that was probably one of my favorite matches to watch. Yeah, and it's been really
1: exciting to watch Josh's progress just generally. You know, he had a major back injury a few years ago, and, you know, there, there was some doubt whether he would compete again. And not only has he competed again, but, like, his skill level has just gone through the roof. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's exciting to see. And I'm, I, I'm, I, I, like you, i am really excited to see wh- wh- where his development and where his path takes him. Um, so one thing I want to mention, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show that we're giving out awards. And one of the awards that we want to give out is match of the year. And so, you know, we had a little sheet for people to sign up, like, hey, favorite match of the year. And the only match that was written down, like somebody wrote this down, and then four other people wrote plus one was your match against Nakapon. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Th- that may have changed, too, by the way, because I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe there were uh, some other nominations. Maybe somebody will nominate your match with Dave Porter or, or Jay Quitfield's match with Isaac July. Some, you know, one of those good matches. But, like, uh, regardless, there were a lot of people that remember that match. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that, and and that, because you you ended up on the wrong end of that match. Um, but I'm wondering, is there a sense of pride for you being a part of? A war of that nature that people remember as one of the best matches of the year, even though you didn't get the result that you were looking for.
0: Yeah, you know, even, you know, uh, still get people coming up and be like, hey, uh, you are you fought Nakapon, that was a f- fantastic fight. You know, I feel like a fight like that, they're kind of, you know, yeah, I didn't get my hand raised, but I didn't feel like I really lost, you know. Nakapon's been around for a very long time, very high-level competitor, and it's for someone like myself, you know, um, to do what, as well as I did against them, that helped me gain some confidence in myself you know i don't think i'd be the same competitor you know that fought dj jackson had i not had a war with Nakapon and it went that well like sure yeah i got caught with a submission in the end but that like you know it it was a hard fought match and that kind of helps give the little bit of confidence you know the confidence that i needed to to know that yeah i can hang with the 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 elite level guys you know because there's there's a spectrum you know you got you know just your uh people that train, then you got competitors, and then you got high-level competitors, and then you got the elite guys, you know? And it's always trying to work your way up to the next level, you know? And, and that was a match that definitely... I told up on this yesterday. I was like, our match definitely helped me, you know, gain confidence in myself and know that I can take on these elite-level guys.
1: Yeah, definitely. I definitely identify with what you say about there being a spectrum. And people, I think, that don't train or compete, I, I, you know, especially because, you know, in, ma- in, in mass culture... You don't train in martial arts. You think, well, a black belt's a black belt, and that's just not the case. Or, or if you think, well, there's no way a purple belt can get near a black belt. It's like, well, you know, an elite level competitive purple belt is a bad, bad dude. Yeah. And 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 Nakapon, a lot of people like you. Know, wh- I think he's a really wonderful fixture of the community because not only is he a really positive guy, but also like people forget that Nakapon has been an elite competitive black belt for longer than many people have been training. Yeah. You know, and 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 so that's so to have a match like that. I'm glad to hear that that was. The result you took away from it, um, and then this is, I think, one of the reasons people enjoy having you on Toro Cup as well is that you you don't shy away from taking on the truly top tier competitors. But that's a challenge that you crave.
0: Yes, always. You know, that's that's the goal has always just been to get to that level. Even when I was a kid wrestling, you know, in high school, my goal. Was to make it to the california state championships, you know, that that was why I wrestled, you know Unfortunately, I I didn't get there, you know, but that didn't stop me You know, it's just kind of on to the next thing, you know, just when I was a uh, white belt It was just okay I want to stop getting submitted every 30 seconds by my buddy that was you know training with me, you know And then okay, well now I can last a minute with him now I want to go a whole round with him, you know, it's just the next stepping stone always looking to the next step that helps me progress, and as long as I have my eyes on something, it helps me stay focused and motivated and disciplined to kind of work towards that.
1: And I think that it, you know, if you're a white belt listening to this, and and I hope you are, I hope that you take those words to heart and are inspired by them because you know, Greg is a super successful competitive black belt, but like everybody at white belt gets submitted every 30 seconds.
0: It just happens. You I know? S- I stopped, gi Jitsu because I was getting choked out every 30 seconds. Like I'm like I'm not even being uh, exaggerating. It was like, oop, choke. Up, oh, arm bar, choke, arm bar. I'm like, screw jujitsu, screw the gi, I don't like this, you know, because you come from somewhere, you know, you wrestled for eight years, you're somewhat successful, and then you got to start all over again, it, just like all, everything that people talk about, you gotta have to check your ego, you know, I had to do the same thing too, fortunately it was like, you know, uh, it took me competing, and I got the bug, I was like, oh, okay, yep, I want to compete, this is what, this is why I want to train jujitsu because I want to get good at this, I want to, you know, actually really put my time into it and invest in it. Mm -hmm.
1: I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff, they do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for tie gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu geese or Vale Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 2-4 Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, One Two Four 2 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at Cageside.com. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, like we mentioned earlier, you know, my wife who helped, who hosts the show sometimes with me is a white belt. And like early on in her jiu-jitsu career, you know, and this is a, and Betsy has done a lot of Athletic and physical activity. She grew up in a military family. Was you know was a swimmer, dancer, did all. played tennis. Like a very coordinated person, athletic person. And it's like, man, I can't pick up this jiu-jitsu thing. I you know, I rolled the blue belt. I didn't feel like I could do anything. I was like, well, and, you know, when we had to have that conversation that where, where she got frustrated as I'm like someone that's physically adept and is like I'm not used to being bad at stuff. I'm like I have some I have some news though. You you have to be bad at it for quite a while. And I think one of the, the things that helped me most in my early on is we started training. Like, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the studio, for those of you that, that want a visual, I'm actually in gi pants in the studio because I was late to the studio training with Ryan Hansler and some other guys, so I apologize for being that guy in gi pants in public. But um, you know, when I started training, there were like six to eight regulars, and every single one of them were tougher than me and Kim Rice. And we got beat up on the daily, like badly, as you say, every 30 seconds, like if, if someone wanted to choke me every 30 seconds or arm, arm me every 30 seconds, it happened. and that. That lasted, you know, six to nine months for me, and that will, you know, you talked earlier about strategies for building mental fortitude, and I really think that like learning to accommodate your reality to, all right, I'm going to get one percent better, I'm going to last a minute longer, instead, you know, at, at, is, is super valuable. And so, you know, for, especially for somebody that wrestled uh, like yourself, like to,
0: I'm,
1: I'm sure that had to be a real adjustment.
0: It was a huge adjustment, you know, and now it's it's one of those things like you when you go through it, it sucks. But once you're past it and then you can kind of look back on it, I appreciate that time. Um, And now when I – now as an instructor, I see people that come in with the same background I did and, you know, I didn't have someone to be like, hey, it's okay. It's going to happen. Just accept it, you know. Um, I just had, you know, my buddy that was doing it to me and he wasn't doing it in a mean way, but he also wasn't like, hey, you'll get better, you know. It was just like – just submission submission and I was like when am I ever going to get better you know but then once you get through it it's so much you know I appreciate that time and wrestling has its place in jujitsu just not everything translates so once I figured out that what works and what doesn't then that has definitely helped out, you know? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, everyone's like, man, you're wrestling so good, and they forget about my jujitsu. And I'm like, I'm still a jujitsu black belt. That's a lot of jujitsu going on. It's not just wrestling, you know?
1: <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And, I, like, I always say to people, because I, I wrestled a bit, too, not at the level you did, but, like, I would say wrestling's, like, 80% helpful for jujitsu and 20% harmful. And, like, I think a lot of wrestlers that did wrestle at a high level that are make the mistakes that commonly wrestlers make like I would turn my back on guys and turtle and 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 I think that those are the guys that quit or the dudes that can't deal with oh but I mean I have these habits that are bad but like the dudes like yourself that are that push through like now you know you are a, you know a black belt and extremely well respected instructor and you have this wrestling too which is which is which is excellent so I'm curious, like, you know, you mentioned you have all your belts from Gustavo Machado. And I'm curious about, like, your association's thoughts on belts and your particular thoughts on belts as an instructor. Like, what do you think – because one of the interesting things about jiu-jitsu is there's no one unified standard, really, for, like, this is what makes up a blue belt. This is what makes up a purple belt. And so I'm curious, in your mind, and maybe, you know, if you can speak to the Gustavo Association generally, what do you think the differences are from blue to purple, from purple to brown, from brown to black?
0: I had a friend that um – you know, Henze, Henzo Gracie, Black Belt, that kind of explained it. It gave, gave like, a, a visual, visualization. And uh, I, I took that, and I, I really like it. You know, at White Belt, you're learning vowels. Uh, at Blue Belt, you're starting to put together words. Purple Belt, you're writing sentences. Brown Belt, paragraphs. Black, uh, Black Belt, essays. Mm-hmm. And once, you know, you kind of think about that, it's like, yeah, you know, White Belt, when I'm, when I'm teaching my students and I'm seeing their progression, you know, even through, like, individual... Stripes, you know, it's like, okay, well, now you're comfortable with like kind of this set, and then we can kind of start working away in a systematic w- way. You know, I don't ever hold, I'm not going to ever hold back information from a white belt or blue belt, but it's like, you know, there's a time when your level of understanding of jujitsu to kind of start getting introduced to different techniques and concepts, you know, so it's like trusting that systematic approach to it, you can make your training a lot more, um, uh, better just just by being more systematic instead of just like oh here's youtube jiu jitsu learn everything you're going to be like what mm-hmm. you know I'll read the dictionary every words in there you're like huh you know so
1: I love that analogy, not just because I'm an English major, but because it also harkens back to something that you said earlier about how there's, there's spectrums and gradients. So if white belts are learning vowels and black belts are writing essays, not every essay is created equal, right? And, so you have, and, and you're not going to hand Moby Dick to a blue belt and say like – and th- this is why, you know, even though I mean I love – I love sport jiu jitsu and the so called quote unquote modern advanced sport jiu jitsu, but I wouldn't show Barambolo to people in their first six months because it's like, what? Like, how would I, how would I, like, and, and then I'm on his back? Like, yes, you roll and then you're on his back. It's it's just like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, this is, that's one thing I take from Gustavo. Like, you know, don't get it twisted because has been doing jiu-jitsu for 30 years and, you know, like, he he's on par with any crazy technique you want to show. Like, don't think he doesn't know modern jiu-jitsu. The guy does. You know, he has such a great understanding of jiu-jitsu that he can watch it, break it down, and be like, okay, well, that's how it was done and this is how we can make it work for us. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, the whole conversation of, uh, you know, even self-defense jiu-jitsu to sport jiu-jitsu, like, I don't – I think that's a – Irrelevant kind of like um argument or even modern day jujitsu to old school jiu-jitsu. I think that's an irrelevant argument because it's been around for so long that it's it's just a revolving circle, you know? And just because someone was training thirty years ago doesn't mean people weren't inverting going upside down. We're not like the next big biggest thing that we've developed this. It's just, hey, you're at this point in your jiu-jitsu and you figured this out. Somebody else has done it too, you know? So I think whatever your view of jujitsu, jujitsu is an art too. So your perspective of it isn't necessarily wrong. You know, my perspective isn't necessarily wrong. We're going to have different views of it. And that's okay. That's 100 percent okay. You know, but I I think you just got to find what works for you and and make it work for you.
1: Yeah, that all of that resonates true to me in that particularly the cyclical nature of it. Right. Where, you know, and you know, what's modern to one person is old school to another. And one of the things that I find most interesting, like so so my instructor, Seth Shamp, Hoist Gracie Black Belt, old school, you know, old school all the way first guard pass he ever teaches is the double underpass and so i've been training about about eight years you know roughly equivalent to to your time so there was a time in the middle of my training when i would go and i travel a lot so i would travel a lot train at other schools and i would kind of get scoffed at when i would go through the double underpass god that's so antiquated it's so old school and i'm like well you know okay but you know it works and i like it so whatever and now you know with guys with who are who are competing that have incredibly flexible guards. Now the double underpass is making a comeback in modern sport jujitsu and now it's like the modern thing again. And and so I, I agree with you that the distinction between like old and new is irrelevant. There are only answers to problems and the answers to problems, you know, change.
0: Yeah, right? I've been doing double underpass since I was a white belt. Like use it use it on Gary Tonin. Use it I mean have you like it it's still being used today. So what's what's wrong with it, you know? Like even at uh you know, when I fight IBJJF, like how many barrel bulls have I defended? Like literally none. You know, most of my fights are like just tough, close, and it's based on like, you know, uh, one or two simple mistakes can be fixed of just basic hand positioning. You know, just the simple things. You know, there's not one big answer. What's the next big move that's going to kill everybody? There is not that answer. You know, it's just steadily getting better and, you know, Increasing your understanding of jujitsu and as a competitor and your game plan and your strategy, you know it's it's not the next big. Well, everyone wants it now, and there's there's no quick answer. It's just.
1: Continual work. And this is another reason I think jiu-jitsu has powerful life lessons because there is no quick fix, right? And this is why I think YouTube is dangerous for people's long-term development sometimes or like when people get... I think the worst thing that can happen to a white belt, and I'm glad this didn't happen to me, is to see a fancy move on on YouTube, try it and have it work. You know, (laughs) because like if if you... On on another white belt. Because then that that gives you feedback. That's like, okay, all I need to do is this. But I think the the more powerful lesson for jiu-jitsu is there are no quick fixes and no easy answers and eventually especially if you want to compete against the best you know those people are not going to be susceptible to fancy camp moves
0: yeah Well, and and you have to remember is like your first attempt isn't always going to work you got to have a backup plan you got to have you know at least a couple options for whatever So when it comes to competing is one, being confident in yourself and your game and having enough options. If the only thing I have is, you know, um, a slick guard sweep or I'm sorry, just a a slick sweep or a slick guard pass. Well, what if that gets shut down? What are you going to do next? So having that well-rounded game, being good on the feet, um, you know, having a, a game plan for top, having a game plan for bottom, sticking to that game plan, you know, if one, two, three doesn't work, just go back to one. One, two, three. Okay, well, I'm just going to go back instead of, you know, when I was like a purple brown belt, you know, trying all these different things against high level competitors, you know, and they'd be like, well, stop doing so much. You're moving too much. Get good at one thing. You know, that was um, advice I got from Cyborg down in Miami. I got a chance to travel a lot when I was in the Navy and train with him. And he was like, get good at one thing. Know the everything front and back on that one thing and just continue to develop that you know same thing uh soca up in new york told me he was like you you move too much just kind of relax a little bit you know continue on your progression of technique and that that helped me out a, a lot you know at that developmental stage when i was purple brown belt I'm curious if you take those insights
1: and translate them into when you're teaching. So do you write curriculums for your students or do you just sort of assess student needs that like, okay, here's where my guys are at. Here's where they need to learn.
0: So uh, UFC gym, you know, is the jujitsu instructors, um, Chingia Mauricio Mariano. He developed a curriculum for us instructors. So that way, whatever UFC gym you go to, you kind of, it's like a, you know, um, the same format. So I do teach off a curriculum. There is sometimes where I do have some latitude in what I can show. It's not like broken down exactly how you have to teach it, but it's like a guard pass, you know, basic guard pass from full mount. Well, there's a lot of different choices there, you know, so it kind of depends on the instructor can choose what they want to teach, which is pretty cool. You know, it's, it's not bad. It gives you that like side to side lateral movement. Okay. Well I can show this or I can show it this way. I can add this detail. So yeah, depending on the, who's in the class you know if it's more some of my regulars that have been around for a little bit I can you know show a little extra detail I can show a little more to a basic guard pass or if I just have basic people um, I can you know I'll, I'll bring it down to their level you know there's that spectrum of okay what can I show and then two when I do have a chance to show whatever I want I do have my own like curriculum I've been writing things down you know when I had a wrist surgery I couldn't train at all I just sat on the computer and just I built my own like mind map You know, what do I know from full guard? Okay, sweeps, submissions. Okay, what's off of that? And it just, that's how my mind kind of thinks about it in a very linear format. And then, you know, there's like, well, this can go back to here and it just keeps going. So guard passes, sweeps, everything is kind of written down. I have it on my phone, computer, you know. I'm so glad to hear that you do this, too, because,
1: uh, you know, it's always nice for me to get some validation that, that like, because I I love doing that kind of nerdy stuff, the kind of mind mapping stuff. And you mentioned when you had wrist surgery, like, a two-part question. How long was the recovery for that, and how crazy did you go not being able to train?
0: Uh, I was on a cast for six weeks, I think. Mm -hmm. And then even after that, I was still in a splint for another three weeks, Um And then after that, I was still like had a little brace that I would tape up. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was, it was long recovery and it's still not, it's not where it ever was. You know, I like, I don't have the range of motion. I don't have the strength in it that I ever, that I used to. So it's an adjustment, but just like jujitsu, you know, Jean-Jacques Machado only has one hand, you know, so I have no excuse that, oh, my wrist hurts sometimes. Well, you know, just got to figure it out, make it work for me.
1: U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. So let's talk about community in jujitsu because what and and I want to lead this into I want to talk about this generally and then talk about one of your teammates Betty Broadhurst uh, toward the end of the conversation. But you and I were talking a little bit about uh, North Carolina. I feel really lucky that down here that we have a pretty tight knit community of folks that get together. You mentioned that you enjoy coming down to North Carolina. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you enjoy about what we've got going on down here.
0: I mean, every Toro Cup, you know, there's a lot of it. It brings together a lot of really nice, good people. That's a, just a good environment. You know, I've really noticed that. You know, North Carolina in general has that good environment. Um, granted, you know, there probably is things here and there that happens. That's life. That's human nature. But for the most part, coming down here is always a great experience. Everyone's super nice. You know, from Boomer to Bagels, Jeff, you're you're always uh, a pleasure to talk to. You know, so it's it's always refreshing to come down here and and. and you know see you guys you guys are like the neighbors you know so it's like might as well come down and have a good time (laughs) definitely definitely we feel the same we feel the same way about y'all and I, i gotta get up and train with
1: you um sometime when i'm up in up in in virginia for work um, and so one of the people that sort of like a centerpiece of, and maybe a bridge even to both of those communities is Betty Broadhurst. And you know Betty, you know Gustavo Machado, purple belt, uh, active competitor, was there at Toro Cup yesterday. Is always out supporting the scene. And so uh, you know, do you get to train with Betty much? Do you see like what what do you think Betty adds to the the community, both in terms of your team and also just kind of the scene up and down the East Coast generally?
0: Well, I think you I think you said it best, kind of like that that bridge. You know, I haven't had too much time to share the mats with Betty, but we're gonna work on that in the future you know definitely want to uh, you know uh train with her a lot more and kind of bring that together but you know i think fostering this community is not just one person it, it takes everybody but you know betty might be at kind of the centerpiece and she's so kind and and nice and generous you know that it makes it easy to ev- for everyone to kind of come around that you know and it's great that everyone kind of fall you know falls into that you know and, and hopefully we can spread that. Um, that reach kind of even further and just bring the community together you know because we're still still small compared to everything else and the only way we're going to kind of get bigger and and better is by coming together instead of you know being factionated and all that stuff you know it is the age of 2017 you know all the all the jiu-jitsu's out there so why not just train you know with whoever we can compete with whoever we can you know it's it's not like it used to be back in when jiu-jitsu first started. Definitely, and I think the de- the way that small scenes get bigger is by
1: community building, growing the scene, and you know, if if we can r- lift all boats through that rising tide, that's the way that you know we can produce excellent competitors. And to that end, like I'm curious about your competition goals. You seem like a goal oriented person, and I'm just curious: do you sit down and say like, "These are my competition goals for the next year. This is what I ultimately want to achieve." Do you do you think in those terms?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, being that IBJJF to compete at Black Belt in the adult division, you have to qualify. So that's the next kind of step for me is I want to qualify for IBJJF Black Belt Worlds. You know, it takes 50 points. Um, getting closer, you know, I got, I think, like 35 now. You know, so whereas, like, I can't just say, well, I want to be an adult Black Belt World Champion. Well, that's a that's a good goal to have, but that's a big one. Mm-hmm. So break it down into steps. You know, um, it, the, of course, that's going to be the ultimate goal, but the Next closest goal is, okay, let's qualify. Okay, let's go out there and fight. Okay, well, depending on how that goes, okay, next time let's win a match. Okay, let's get to the semis. You know what I mean? And just atta- small attainable goals are always that's the way to do it instead of just saying, well, I want to be world champion. Well, that's a, that's a big – let's break that down a little bit. That makes perfect sense. And so to that, to that end, I'm wondering, like, would you – you
1: know, so I want you to go back and talk to day one Greg. And if you could give day one, Greg Walker, a piece of advice about like, okay, this is something you need to know about jiu-jitsu moving forward, something that's going to help you, what would you tell him?
0: Calm down and relax. Because I was just so, I don't know, I mean, maybe aggro is not the word, but just my wrestling, mean, you can see my jiu-jitsu style. It's a very forward-going pressure. Uh, so if you go back to white belt, it was like that, but just like, Tasmanian devil all over the place. And it did, it took me until about purple brown belt that i like figured out how to kind of just flow with things and relax a little bit. Um, Dave Camarillo had a good analogy of like red lights and green lights. There's a time to move. There's not a time to move. You know, there, that was one of the times in that I kind of, oh, okay, I started to understand a little bit more, but who knows, you know, white belt Greg, probably I could tell him that and you would be like, huh, I don't, I don't get it. And I would still have to go, sometimes you just have to walk through the mud to figure it out. And I'm one of those people, I have to do the move eight billion times wrong before I figure it out and do it right, you know?
1: That makes sense to me too. And you know, I do think for most of us, we, you know to a certain degree, teachers can help us, but there are also lessons that we have to learn on our own. And to that end, like I'm wondering, like uh, among either your students or other folks, not like brand new people, but like people that have achieved a certain level, like maybe they got four stripes on their white belt, maybe they're a blue belt, What do you think the most common mistakes those folks that you see make, or what do you think the best advice, like somebody that's listening to this podcast, loves jujitsu, has been training a year, two years, wants to get to that next level, what do you think the best advice you could give those people is?
0: Just take every training session, you know, and, and think about it, not in a sense of like win or loss, but of like, okay, what did I do here? What worked and what didn't work? You know, if you think about it in that sort of way, okay, I did this, it led to me getting submitted okay well what were the things that led me to get submitted well let's let's not do those anymore and let's readjust if you can always kind of um be willing to change and adapt that's how your jiu is going to get better versus being hard-headed and be like no i want to do it this way well if you continue to do it that way you're going to get guillotined or you're going to get armbarred let's think about okay let's do it this and this and this you know that's one thing you know gustavo always has the answers ready for me but it's whether or not you're willing to accept those answers and implement those answers. Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned before that you think the d- distinction between self defense jiu-jitsu and competition jiu-jitsu is silly or that that it, uh, I, you know you didn't use the word silly but like irrelevant, right? And I'm curious like uh, how do you think about that in that uh, do you think that all jiu-jitsu is self defense jiu-jitsu or like what do you mean when you think that what, when you say that distinction is irrelevant?
0: Um so take any high level Take any jujitsu competitor and put them, like, in a self-defense kind of situation. They're going to do fine. Are you really – like, they're going to do fine because they're used to that kind of fight. A trained versus untrained – like you're not going to have the chance to do a barren bull because that untrained person is not going to get down in that perfect position. So where they're like, Oh, that barren bull wouldn't work on the street. Well, you wouldn't do a barren bull in the street because that situation is not going to be like a competition situation. So it's like comparing apples to oranges, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in that self-defense, you know, jujitsu is jujitsu. When I teach competition jujitsu, when I fought MMA my jujitsu didn't change that much it was really the same jujitsu style except now i can punch you know um when i when i when i compete in in, in gi jujitsu and no gi jiu not much changes yeah some of the grips changes but the the ultimate thing is still the same you know my grips just shift a little bit but it's not some completely different thing it's still jujitsu. you know um and like, just like the adage, you know, uh, size and weight doesn't matter. Yeah, trained versus untrained, it doesn't matter. If you got somebody your size that's trained against somebody that's untrained, easy day. But then you get trained versus trained, then it starts changing a little bit. So trying to compare self-defense jiu-jitsu that works, that we all know will work for sure against competition. Yeah, competition jiu-jitsu, you're going to do things different because you're fighting someone that's trained. Mm-hmm. So to try and compare the two, I just don't, feel, I don't think that that really works. That makes perfect sense.
1: And so as someone that competes a lot and that tr- has trained with a bunch of really tough people, I'm curious, and I don't necessarily want you to rank them like in, in any necessarily, in any order, but I'm curious who you consider the toughest people, toughest like two or three people you've rolled with. And that can be in competition or it can be in a training session and just folks that, that you think are, you know, th- this guy was amazing, this guy was really tough.
0: In training or competition? Let, let, you, we could do either or both. Let's, let's do training first, then competition. Training first. So, I mean... When I rolled against Gordo, you know, I, I went to, I've been to Brazil twice, and the second time, was the second? Maybe it was the first, second time, yeah, because I was purple belt. Uh, got to roll with Gordo, you know, he came, sat down, slap bump, and it was like trying to roll with your dad, you know. Just, up, oh, I'm going to move you over here, I'm going to set you down over here, and it's was just like, could do nothing, you know. You're rolling with somebody like that legendary that's been around the block many, many times, rolling with a purple belt, you know. It's It's probably like us rolling with, you know, a white belt that's never trained before. So, like, that, you know, that time was, like, you know, I could do nothing right at all, you know. Um, there's so many people that I fortunate people that are, like, legends of the sport that I've got to train with. You know, Gordo, his brother, Cyborg, Soka, Megatone, like, all those guys were just, like, tough as nails, you know, like... On
1: another level. Yeah, you just listed a bunch of my heroes in there. Like Megaton, you know, uh, like is, is, is sort of goals for me is in terms of like this dude who has competed at every world and is now, I think, 46, maybe 47, yeah. and still beats just about everybody.
0: Yeah, it's tough. You know, there's it, the, the the list goes. I've, like I said, I've been very fortunate to train with some very high level guys, and they each, I, each one has a little piece of what's kind of helped me and, and molded me into kind of who I am today, jujitsu wise. Mm
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're done
0: competing, how would you like people to remember you? I mean, I, my goal's uh hopefully like, you know, get to that elite level, you know, just where like, you know, he was a good grappler, good competitor and was game, wanted to fight anybody, you know, just mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't do it to be I don't do it for my own like recognition. I do it kind of for myself, mm-hmm. you know. There's times That I feel like, oh, I want to stop. And then, you know, I see a tournament. I'm like, well, then that drive is still there. That drive, I don't think, I don't know if that drive will ever go away. But, you know, maybe I don't get invited to these, like, paid uh, fights because I don't do it on social media. And I'm not very active on social media. I don't have some huge following because I don't do it for that. I don't do it for people to, you know, I don't don't know. I don't think about it in that way, I guess. (laughs)
1: No, that makes sense. And you know, some people, you know, Dave Porter is fond of saying there are workhorses and there are show horses. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but and, and speaking of which, like wh- one thing I want to make sure we get to before the, sh- the show ends in the five or so minutes we have left. So you're a Navy veteran, Dave Porter, a Marine Corps veteran, just competed on a card raising money for a charity that supports military veterans with PTSD. Is that, is, that, is that the kind of thing that's special to you? Is that the kind of thing that you think about or do you not think about it? Do you think it is just another match or is it special for you to go up against another veteran on a card like this?
0: Uh, no, I mean, I didn't really think about it in that way, but no, it is pretty cool. You know, like, you know, I did spend 10 and a half years in the Navy, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at without the Navy. You know, I didn't, I didn't separate from the Navy saying that I hate it and screw the Navy or nothing like that at all. It was just time for me to do different things. So yeah, to, to kind of support what helped me be who I am now is, you know, that's always a great way to kind of give back if I if that's if that's what you call it you know Mm -hmm. I feel proud to be able to do that Mm -hmm. when you think about
1: giving back too, like you know you're you know you're in the prime you're in the prime of your competition career right now and like or maybe or maybe your prime's yet to come um I'm curious like when you know do you see yourself teaching jujitsu is is that something that you would like to continue to do for the rest of your life and
0: yeah I mean that's actively the goal is to get to that point where I can just be on the mats you know uh in the last year teaching kids i I love teaching kids and i you know when i do uh branch out i'm able to be on my own just teaching jiu-jitsu i want the kids to be a big focus of my academy because they're so you know you you get such a a fast return in your investment per se you know from day one to a month later that's like a a totally different kid jiu-jitsu wise so it's like it's very gratifying to teach kids and help them and you know I, I want to be able to kind of give back to that more. That's like the next generation, you know. Yeah, and like some of the kids
1: that were on the card yesterday, like some of the kids coming up are going to be insane.
0: Yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean that back take that Christina Lynn had was, you know, you see that at adult level. And I think you guys were talking about it in the commentary. There is no difference between kids' jujitsu and adult jujitsu. you know. It's just kind of they learn differently. So adjusting your teaching style to fit – person receiving it is is key and you can you can get as technical as you want with them as long as their level of understanding of jiu-jitsu kind of supports that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, these days, especially like I've talked with several folks about this, uh, the folks like yourself that travel a long way to train these days, if you see an orange belt or a green belt, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have an easy role. (laughs) Not at all. And, you know, and and, or like Nikki Ryan, right? Somebody who just just turned 16 and so was just awarded his purple belt, you know, was technically a white belt until, you know, and, and but would not be the kind of person that you would walk in and have have an easy time with and so like it must be gratifying to you to be like raising that next generation of jiu stars
0: yeah we had um one one y- young lady you know Jessica Khan, that was with us for a while and, you know she just like you said just because she's an orange or green belt you're gonna have a hard time she was in there every night with adults grown men and catching arm bars like legitimately you know like and now she's back over at alto's blue belt killing it out there you know and it's like there's, there's plenty of pe- kids just like that. You know, Christina Lin, I, I think she's on that same kind of progression. You know, she's doing great. You know, as long as they can kind of stay on that path, the the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. So we've touched on your career as a teacher, your career as a competitor. We've touched on
1: a lot of your, your, your attitudes towards jiu-jitsu. I'm wondering in the few minutes we have left, is there anything I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything you really would like the audience to know about you that we haven't gotten to?
0: Um, no, I mean, if anyone wants to come up to, you know, Virginia Beach, come, come train. You know, we're always always welcome, just as you guys are welf- welcoming down here, you know, extend that invitation, to, you know, come up, come see us. You know, our, our doors aren't closed or nothing. We're not trying to hold anybody back. You know, come come visit. Do you have classes every day? Uh, yeah,
1: that's awesome. Well, I will definitely take you up on that and I will definitely wish you the best of luck, not only on your competition goals, but like that next step of qualifying to the adult black belt worlds and certainly love to watch you compete there. Thanks, sir. My guest is Greg Walker, Gustavo Machado, black belt, a winner of the Toro Cup main event uh, by points in the submission or in the sudden death round uh, against David Porter yesterday. It's been a real pleasure having you in studio, Greg. We've talked to you just briefly before, but it was really nice to sit down for the full hour. And so, thanks so much for being here.
0: No, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Well,
1: folks, that is our show for the week. We're gonna see you again next Sunday. We're gonna have a lot of exciting stuff to announce then. I hope without doing any kind of foreshadowing, I'll remind you that if you want to see Greg's match, you can go to our Facebook page, facebookcom radio. We'll also post that match on our blog at dirtywhitebelt.com/blog. You can also see some of Greg's other matches at Toro Cup. Those are on our Facebook page as well, as well under the videos tab. Again, his match with Nakapon is uh, not necessarily the consensus choice for match of the year, but one of the front runners for match of the year. Yeah. So I want to make sure that you folks have the opportunity to nominate your friends and your coaches and your teammates. We're going to give awards at the end of the year, the Dirty White Belt Awards. We're going to leave nominations open until November 1st. You can email us at CagesideWHUP at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on Facebook at Cageside Radio or tweet at us at DWB Radio with who you think are is the, the Self-Defense Coach of the Year, the Competition Coach of the Year, the uh, Jujitero and Jujitero of the Year. We're leaving a broad definition of this so that you can shout out people that you think you know is your coach amazing is you do you have a training partner who's done really well this year we also have a most inspirational category because i think it's really important to uh, recognize the people that are the glue that holds our community together a lot of cool nominations that we're going to be an- uh, announcing in the next couple of uh, in the next couple of weeks so we're going to leave that open until november 1st so until next week we'll see you next sunday uh my guest was greg walker had a blast this week and we will see you again next sunday this is dirty white belt radio my name is jeff shaw and we will get at you later